Rebecca. And Lily. And you're listening to... Just Ghouly Things. Hey, Boothangs, and welcome back to Just Ghouly Things, and we are your beautiful hosts, Rebecca and Lily. Hey. Lily, I don't know about you, but I have been getting into the spooky spirit lately. I've been looking up for so many different fall and Halloween decorations just to, like, spruce up the house a little more, get in a little more of the spooky spirit. Oh, 100%. Especially because I'm, I mean, obviously there are things that we're able to do now that we weren't able to do a few months ago, like outdoor activities. But if I'm going to be staying home most of the time, like I want to get into the spooky spirit. I want to have some skeletons on my wall and some fake cobwebs, not real ones, fake ones, and <laughs> like fall leaves. And I just want to like get pumpkin ins- candles burning. Oh, yes. You, have you ever had pumpkin spice, like, anything? Um, well, you know, back in my day, uh, pumpkin spice, when it started, was really just that coffee from Starbucks, mm-hmm. and I, I never liked coffee. Okay. So I've had, so I've never really, or, or, you know, or, like, the pumpkin spice creamer, like, why would I have that if I don't drink coffee? Yeah. So I haven't, but I have smelled it, and it smells like Okay, because I was I want to ask because I have never had pumpkin spice anything. I love looking at pumpkins. I love carving pumpkins. I've had mm-hmm. pumpkin pie, not my favorite pie out there, um, but definitely I've smelled pumpkin spice and it smells amazing. But I think this is going to be the year that I try pumpkin spice from either Duncan or Starbucks. It. Okay, you know what? I'm going to put a time frame for myself. I'm going to try it within this week. So by next week when we record our other episode, I'm going to let you guys in on what my experience was of drinking a pumpkin spice latte. You have to. That's how we're opening the episode. That's what we're going to do. All right? We already have this. I have to write a reminder in my phone, on my calendar, to remind me by next week to try the pumpkin spice latte. I'm currently writing this down. Try... PSL. Hopefully I'll remember what that means in like a couple days. <laughs> Literally, if you forget, just look it up on Google and everyone's and, and it'll pop up right away. For sure. Like literally, I have so many notes in my phone that I'll just like I am one of those people that if I have an idea in my head for like anything, I just go into my notes app and I just write it down if I don't have my journal with me. And then I'll yeah. reflect on it like a day or two later. I'm like, what the fuck did I just write? Because I won't either check the autocorrect or I'm just writing so fast that not even my phone knows what word I'm trying to say or I'll abbreviate it. And then I look back, I'm like, I really, I don't even know what I was trying to get at. And that was a good idea down the drain because now I don't know what it was. Oh, exactly. I used to, um, for some reason, before I go to bed, like my mind would wander uh-huh. and I would just, and I would like crack myself up. But I didn't want to look at my phone for too long. So I would just like type in keywords of like jokes I came up with or like an idea for like a skit or something. This is back when I wanted to be a comedian. And I, and I would wake up and it would just be like, God, well, my mom and dad will remember them because I'd wake up the next morning and look at my notes and I'd be like, what the fuck does this even mean? Like one of them was like YouTube spaghetti camera. I swear (laughs) to God, I woke up and my phone just said YouTube spaghetti camera. And I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? Why does that sound like something I would see on iCarly? Ah! Oh, 
classic. I, you know what, Lily? You said that you wanted to be a comedian. First of all, I think you're already a comedian because <laughs> you hold the show in comedy right now on this podcast. <laughs> and I think that, like, like, you have some really good material. I remember when we first started recording and we had talked about how you would write down these jokes and then you would look back and you're like, what the fuck was this? And, like, you tried to piece it together and then... So with some of them, you'd eventually, like, remember what it was that you were thinking in your head. And yeah. Yeah, I it was think, like the Da Vinci Code. It yeah. Was. <laughs> I think that you should continue to pursue your writing of comedy because you have some really good material. And I think that your humor could connect with, like, so many people. I mean, some of your humor is very, like, it ha- it's, like, a, for a very niche group of people. But then, Absolutely. like, your other your other jokes are just so, like, your memes are just A1. <laughs> just saying. And that's just what people see, like, the general population see, like, meme-wise. Like, your actual comedy, like, what you write is hysterical. Like, when you create your own memes and, like, when you say things to me, I don't even know half the time if you're trying to be funny and I just start laughing because it's... <laughs> Like, you just, like, deliver everything you say so well. And I know I've said this before, too, but my mom always told me, like, the first time she met you, she's like, Lily needs to be on SNL. She is so funny. Like, the way she holds it, she, like, she holds the show. She, everything she does, she is so funny. So, Lily, I think you should continue pursuing the comedy thing. Maybe I'll just, like, message a bunch of comedians and be like, hey, like, I haven't done comedy in, like, three years, but I'm funny, I promise. <laughs> Well, you took so many years of improv. I mean, I bet you still got it in you. I, I miss improv, but, um, you know, no time. No time, because you got to be an adult. Maybe someday. Maybe. I was, it's funny. Like, I was, um, no, I forget what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. Also, with deciphering stuff, last night I went, not to, like, drastically change the subject back, but, like, my mind is scattered as hell today. Like we said, I know I said record at 10, but for some reason I woke up and I was like, cool, 1030. Like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, I don't know why I didn't put it in my planner. Um, that's, that's why it was like 1015 and you're like, are you ready to record? And I was like, yeah, why? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking idiot. But at work the other day, I was, I, I, um, I, so I work with a waitress who is like so scatterbrained and she'll write down orders and then like call me over and be like, Lily, what did I write? I don't know what this means. <laughs> so and that's I, like, why my order takes forever. Huh? Uh, yeah. I, literally. And like, she, she'll like call me over. She'll call like this other waitress over and we have to sit around and be like, okay, Kelly, what do you remember her say? Like <laughs> what, what, like go dig deep. And you got to find like context clues in the menu. Like what could, what word triggers me to remember like, what we have exactly. to look at the, like literally, especially cause our, like when we have special menus, like we grab all the menus and we'll like sit down if it's not too busy, mm-hmm. we'll like sit down and like look and see, cause she abbreviates stuff. And like, I do that too. Like I was taking an order the other night and he was talking so fucking fast <laughs> that I just abbreviated it. F I M R F F. I was sitting there and I was like, what the fuck is that? And I sat there and I reflected and I was like, oh, that's a flat iron steak, medium rare with French fries instead of a caprese salad. What the fuck, Lily? That was just fucking Latin to me. What? I would have never gotten that. And that's why I could never be a waiter. Tip your waiters very well, folks. Be kind. Especially when they're sitting there playing Scrabble with their, like, literally, like, we'll sit there and look at Kelly's orders. And I think she actually took a picture of one of her sheets once because it was just, like, like 
absolutely incoherent. It was insane. I could never. I could never. That's good detective work. Do you ever, like, when you, like, plan your workouts, like, abbreviate things into, like, oh, like, you know, ERT for eight Russian twists? Or do you just, or do you have enough time and are you, you know is your brain so clear funny? enough to just you, write it down? You, you say that? Because I, um, because sometimes, like, when I'm training clients, I'll, I'll, like, um, if I'm training a client that I trained, like, earlier in the week, obviously, I don't want to repeat workouts that we've done. So I'll Mm -hmm. write down, I always try to write down what workouts I'm going to have my clients do for the day. And I always get inspiration through Instagram or Pinterest or just to like Mm -hmm. change it up. And so sometimes I'll write it down on a, I have like a little journal where I write all my workout ideas. So if I Mm -hmm. ever need to refer to, I could just do that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll write it down and I'm writing it down so fast that it's either A, my handwriting is just so shot that like I don't even know what I wrote or I'll abbreviate it so much that it, like it'll say something like that, like A R S, and I'm like, or A R. I don't even know the letters A R T, and I'm like, what it like A R T, and I'm like, oh, eight Russian twists, like okay. <laughs> um, so sometimes I'll be with a client, I open up the book, and I'll stare at it for a second. They're like, so what are we doing? And I'm like, I'm I'm sorry, I'm trying to read my own handwriting. Like <laughs> that's a good question. What are we? Doing? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But now now my clients have gotten to know me. So when that happens, they don't even ask anymore. They just sit there and quiet until I say what they have to do. <laughs> but anyway, Lily, speaking of jobs, uh, do you have any bank stories to tell us for this week? I always look forward to hearing them. Okay. So you remember the crazy guy with the GoPro in his sunglasses who got the cops called on him? We called him Keith, I think. Oh, yeah. The icon. Yeah. Yeah. So he's come back a couple of times, and this guy is just off his fucking rocker insane. (laughs) What happened? So, okay, so so Keith isn't allowed to drive, so every time he comes, he's in the back of, like, a person. Like, this guy's loaded. He comes in, like, the back of, like, this huge Escalade, and he's, like, got a driver and everything, and he, like, the windows are tinted. So, like, the second you see an Escalade pull up and the window goes down slowly, you're like, shit, Keith is here. So, he rolls down the window and he just, like, gives us this weird wave. And I'm like, you know, hi. I keep on almost saying his real name. I'm, hi, Keith. And he's like, hey, doll, how's it going? And I'll be like, good, what about you? And he'll be like, and he was like, I have lung cancer. Oh, my God. I'm sorry to hear that. Like, how can I help you today? He's like, well, I was here yesterday for a bank check. And then they told me that I needed another bank check. So I got to do that. And bank checks can take quite some time sometimes because it's like an like 11 step process. Because first you need to sometimes look up the account, pick an account, have them fill out the withdrawal slip, uh, press something for multiple transactions, do the withdrawal, open up the bank check, get a bank check, fill out the information on the bank check, make sure everything's spelled right, print it out, have it signed, scan it, and have them review it. So it's a lot. Yeah. And this fucking guy, he's nuts. So it's really distracting, and he was in the first lane. So he starts, he gets out of the Escalade and starts, like, knocking on the window like I'm a fucking fish. <laughs> and he and last time before he pulled away last time he was there he was like can I tell you something and I'm like sure Keith and he was like God gave you beautiful eyes and Mm -hmm. I really thought he was going to say something like 
crazy, violent, racist or something. So I was like, you know what? I'll take that. Thanks, Keith. Right? Like, that's not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. So I have him fill out the withdrawal slip, and I'm processing the withdrawal, and he knocks on the window, and I wave, and he was like, your eyes just make me want to dance with you on a lake. Okay. I was like, okay, thank you. And then um, I put the bank checking upside down, so into the printer upside down. So I had to redo the whole thing. And the reason I put it in upside down is because he was singing and dancing around the drive-thru with his dog. Wait, come again? He brought his dog with him. He had a little black dachshund, and when he showed the dachshund to me, he knocks on the window, and I'm like, oh, that's a cute dog, Keith. And he's like, and he looks at me, and he goes, black wieners matter. Uh, uh, oh, no. Oh, I no. My, I look at my coworker who's at the driver with me, and he's just, just like, yeah, he, he made that joke yesterday, too. Oh, oh no. And just the look of oh, his eyes, no. black wieners matter. Jail, like, oh. jail, jail. This guy needs to go to jail. Stop <laughs> it. And so he starts, like, taking his dog around the drive-thru and, like, introducing his dog to customers. He turns the radio up and starts just, like, dancing. And, like, his driver at one point, like, and 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 Keith is, like, getting in it. Like, he'll get in the car and sit for, like, two minutes, and then he gets out. Like, knocks on the window, like, goes around, like, starts talking to the other teller while I'm doing it. Like, this guy's insane. And his driver at one point just kind of looked at me and just, like, gave, like with just, like, this, like, completely defeated look. <laughs> like, because he started yelling at the driver. The car is parked. What could the driver be doing wrong? <laughs> and he just starts, like, screaming. He puts the window up and we just hear the screaming coming from the car. Oh, my God. Then I, so I, so all this is happening. So I put the bank check in, it's printed upside down. So I have to redo it. And I'm just like freaking out because I'm trying to get this line moving. And he's like, Hey, Hey, Hey. I'm like, yes, Keith. And he's like, relax. You gotta just relax. I got far in life because I relax. Even if I have lung cancer and I got hit by a car on my skateboard. (laughs) Okay. Scratch everything I've ever said about people needing TV shows. This guy needs a TV show. You know, they just said that the Card- Keeping Up with the Kardashians is ending their- with their last season next year. Yeah. E, e needs Keeping to have a new Keith. show. Keeping Up with Keith. <laughs> I relax even if I even if I have lung cancer and got hit by a car on my skateboard. And he was like, I can hear the, and I wear um, Alex and Ani bracelets. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have quite a few. And so he was like, I can hear those silver things on your wrist jingling. Oh. Like, you mean my fucking bracelet? <gasps> oh, my God. This fucking poor lost soul. Oh, I mean, like, I, I don't know if he's, I don't know if, like, he's genuinely, like, happy where, like, that's why he's just so, like, seems so cracked out or, like, He's just actually just cracked out. I Well, and then he had, like, this water bottle with the label taken off of it. And my coworker looks at me, and she's like, yeah, that's definitely vodka. And he knocks on the window again. He's like, hey, guess what? This is just water. Boo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, he seems happy until, except for the first time I met him, when he was throwing things. So, like, I really never know what to expect with this guy. 
Oh my god. The fact that this is like an actual regular visitor. Right? Like this is a real fucking person with an actual life and he like comes to the bank regularly. Like I don't understand. <laughs> I need I need more information on Keith. I really do. I wish I could take a picture of him. Like I so wish I could because if you saw him, like he's probably exactly what you picture when I said like like straw fedora with a feather and a Hawaiian shirt and it's just I've never met him, but I feel by the description that I've met him in a past life and I know exactly what he looks like. <laughs> he fucking does. So, all right, sorry. So, so with yeah. that, speaking of uh, vodka and alcohol, Rebecca, what are we talking about? <laughs> I that like episode? that. <laughs> this episode, we're going to be talking about haunted wineries. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. This was actually for the first time in like a month that I've actually come up with an idea for an episode. Usually, it's Lily coming up with the ideas for topics. Well, it's you. Well, I, I had like three weeks in a row where it was my idea but other than that mostly everything like idea wise is all you I would say I would say though I I don't know like I feel like we have our streaks like it's a couple weeks I'll suggest like good stuff and then a few weeks you have a few good things and like we just alternate so when one of us has writer blocks the other one kind of just picks up where the other one left off I think that's yeah, fair it, to it say. evens itself out for sure for sure and the reason why I thought about doing haunted wineries is because it's the fall season wineries are now like one of the few things that like you could do in a group that like you can be outside and just social mm-hmm. distance still be safe but still kind of being able to live some sort of a life nowadays uh... And so I've been looking at different wineries to go to, especially because there's a lot by my parents that I would love to visit for a weekend, like just to go for the day and be with friends. And you, the, um, there's this one, it's the Warwick Winery. This isn't something, I don't know, are you talking about this? Uh, no, I have a different, okay. wait, okay. is it? Let me, no, I don't. Okay. Because well, I don't think, I don't, I don't think Warwick's haunted, but I wasn't sure because I, yeah. But anyway, um. I've been there once before, and they have a great selection of wine, and I they have great food there, and it's on this huge property, so you could space out, bring your own cooler, bring some snacks if you want, and just spend the day being in the sun with friends, drinking and eating pizza, personal pizzas, and it just, it's just a really cool vibe. So I want to go there or go to another place. So when I was looking up wineries to possibly visit with friends, I was like, huh, I wonder if there's haunted wineries. And in fact, there are a lot more haunted wineries than I thought there would be. Yeah, right? Like, there were tons of articles that were just like, oh, fucking 20 wineries to visit that are haunted. Seven wineries in the tri-state area. Like, there was a lot more than I thought. Yeah. But you got the good one with all the material. Mm, I did. You know what? I, w- I did get lucky. And... I also found a couple others that if we do a part two, I have some to bring up in another episode. But these two are definitely my top two as oh, yeah, of right now. Absolutely. We, we definitely should do another one. For sure. So, Lily, do you want to start us off with your first winery? Sure. All right. So let's hear my, it. My first one is called the Zephania. Wow, I love the first lady. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll say Zephaniah, because I think that's right. Okay. The Zephaniah Farm Vineyard in Leesburg, Virginia. 
So a quick breakdown, according to vinepair.com, says that much like the rest of this list, like I got it from a listicle, of course, um, Zephaniah Farm Vineyard uh, has had plenty of time for ghosts to settle in. The manor house was originally built in 1830 and is plagued by the ghost of Maddie Nixon. Miss Maddie inherited the land in 1903 and proceeded to marry a veterinarian named William Casselier. Casselier didn't have the same appreciation for people as he did for animals, and he murdered a poor tenant farmer who let the cows out. Oh, my God. Yeah, and then we have a quote here. It says, Maddie seems to come out when there are people who are about to get married because she didn't have a great experience. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That reminds me really quick. So my grandma, my dad's mom, met my dad's dad on a train to Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And then she met um, my other grandpa, her current husband, on a plane. And I was talking to her one day. She's like, you never know, Lil. You a train and a plane. and I should have just taken the bus. <laughs> a queen speaks. Right? That is iconic. That is something that you will forever hold with you as a memory. Oh, absolutely. She has this phrase also where she goes, I remember talking to her one day or I think I had gone down to visit her just for the weekend when I was like going through a hard time in school just to kind of like get out of town and everything. And she was like, "Lil, I'll tell it. My grandma's filled with just like amazing phrases. Like you would love her, Rebecca. She goes, some days are diamonds, some days are pearls and eh, today's a cubic zirconia day. (laughs) I love her already. She's amazing. Um, anyway, so yeah, so um, so uh, B, so and then they say a word that I can't pronounce. Let's say B ledgered, B leagueward. I can't believe this is a big word that I don't know. I usually know big words. I should be good at this. Um, B e l e a g u e r e d. Yeah, that's foreign to me. Yeah, I got nothing. I can do, you know what, you know what, like, we can do, we can do when there's a big word that's a bunch of little words. You know, like, anti-disestablishmentarianism, like, <laughs> it takes you a, like, you, it, it takes you a minute, but, like, it's a bunch of words that, like, we already know. Like, I've noticed that, like, we could figure those out, you know, if oh, it's a sure. big word, but it's a bunch of tinier words, like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But this is just letters, just straight letters, so. There's I no context this. to it, Yeah. So, um, a little more of, like, a history to it, like, a little more in-depth, um, is from foodandwine.com. And they say, deep in the heart of Virginia's Ludoon, Ludown County, down a gravel road on a dairy farm that dates back three centuries, is Zephaniah Farm Vineyard. According to its owners, this historic home-turned-winery is haunted. Quote, I've felt things, says Bonnie Archer cautiously, who owns the winery with her husband, Bill Hatch. Quote, it's absolutely wacky for me to say things like that because this shouldn't be happening, end quote. Located only about 40 miles from Washington, D.C., Ladoon County is unique in that it is one of the fastest growing counties in America 
but also still has nearly 150,000 acres of farmland. Because of this abundance of available land, Ladoon has more wineries than any other county in the state. Oh, wow. Which, yeah, right? Which, as of 2015, was fifth in wine grape production in the country. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I can imagine that a place like with that's been around for like over 300 years is gonna have and is so busy like that has so much going on is going to be pretty actively paranormal definitely so while there are more than three dozen vineyards in ladoon county it's zephaniah farms history and the hauntings that make this winery wholly unique in 1743 lord fairfax wow i love shrek um and all get it like Lord Farquaad. <laughs> yes. uh, I shit. need to watch Shrek again. I'm like the funniest person on earth. Like you, honestly. Honestly, write that down. That's some good material right there. <laughs> so, um, Lord Fairfax, an old friend of George Washington's, sold two thousand acres of land to a Quaker named George Nixon. Nixon. The Nixon family occupied the land and the 360-acre former dairy farm for two centuries, with generations milling, farming, producing milk, and living. In the late 1800s, a descendant of George Nixon's named Maddie inherited the farm. As a single young woman, Maddie only legally owned the farm until marriage, at which point, according to state law, the deed transferred to her husband. Wow! Of course. Fucking of course. Soon she married the British veterinarian, Dr. William Casselier, and the farm's deed transferred to him. A hot-tempered man who carried a pistol and allegedly had an affair with the house cook. I hate men. Um, (laughs) It was clear this marriage was not built to last. Mm. It came to a head in July 1911 when Dr. Casselier confronted a tenant farmer of his, Joseph Cross. Accusing him of leaving a gate open, Dr. Casselier shot Cross several times. Indicted for a felony, Casselier claimed he shot him in self-defense. Fucking okay. Mm-hmm. Um, since this was in the South during Jim Crow and Cross was African-American, the defense worked. I'm mad, Rebecca. I am heated. Fuck. So the jury acquitted Casselier of the murder charges. Quickly after the verdict came down, Casselier ran off, leaving Maddie Nixon and was never heard from again. Nixon continued to live on the farm until her death in the 1930s, likely taking her final breath in one of the rooms upstairs. On January 1st, 1950, the Hatch family moved onto the farm. From the beginning, Bill Hatch remembers things moving around in the dairy barn, weird sounds, and other mysterious happenings. Everyone in the family was certain it was the ghost of the murdered tenant farmer. That makes sense. Definitely. 66 years later, Bill Hatch and his wife Bonnie still live in the 200-year-old farmhouse. In 2002, with the dairy farming drying up, the Hatches started planting grapes, a decision made after visiting their daughter in Italy, and officially got their license to operate as a vineyard in 2007, 
taking home medals in the Virginia Governor's Cup. Well, wow, that's interesting, though, that this vineyard is, like, so haunted and everything, but it's really only been a vineyard for, like, 13 years. That is true, but there, it's it's all about the history on, of the property. Well, yeah, it's not like it's, like, a big haunted grape that's been haunting <laughs> this. It's a, it's a murdered man. And I can imagine that maybe making that change, too. Like, this man was, like, a, a farmhand, they said, right? Yeah. So, like... Imagine, like, not leaving the place where you were fucking murdered and the guy just got off because he was white and you weren't. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, like, well, not all of a sudden, he had, like, you know, a couple decades of processing this. But, but then, you know, seemingly out of nowhere, the people who are running the place you're haunting now go to Italy and are like, yeah, you know what? Fuck this farm. It's going to be a vineyard. Definitely a lot of changes. A lot of changes. Right, so that also could have, like, you know, grinded his gears and caused maybe more activity. So, while they both have yet to see spirits or ghosts in the house, they do have stories. Bonnie, who is a recently retired public school teacher, has earned three master's degrees, says, One time, they were cleaning dishes when they heard loud voices having a conversation upstairs. Thinking they had accidentally locked people in after a tasting, they went to investigate. There was no one there. You can't ever understand them, Bonnie says, but it's two voices loudly talking. They say that employees have reported seeing apparitions sitting at the table and one carpenter refuses to go into the attic. A few years ago, a local paranormal investigation team asked to perform tests around the house. When they found what they found actually sort of comforted the couple. Yes, there were spirits, perhaps up to 35 of them. What? Yeah. Uh, So up to 35 spirits. I wonder what, like, because there is, you know, the farmer who got shot, but I wonder, like, who else? You know, I wonder if there were any other people who mysteriously died while um, the guy was there. I think I think it could be Native Americans, too. Oh, yes, Rebecca, big brain. Especially especially for that, that region of, like, Virginia and just, like, there, that whole area had Native True. American True, and, land. I mean, this place has been around pretty much since, like, what, English settlers, they said? I don't know. Yeah, in 1743. Oh, So this yeah. is before the fucking, like, Declaration of Independence. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. Probably Native Americans. Wow. Those poor maybe Na- Okay, anyways, the point is, um, this also, though, interestingly enough, includes dead pets, and they're concentrated in the library. That's interesting. Huh. Bonnie says, quote, they refer to it as a bus station of spirits. Hmm. One of the spirits is, in fact, Maddie Nixon always wondering how Maddie Nixon felt about what they were doing in their home, growing grapes and making wine. The Hatch and Archer, oh, then, Hatch and Archer asked if she was okay with it all. According to Bill Hatch, her response was very positive. She was delighted. Uh, She was delighted that people were enjoying themselves in her home, particularly in the library. It seems that Zephaniah Farm... Uh, that a Zephaniah Farm Cabernet Franc 
pairs well with ghosts. <laughs> that is an awesome winery to look into. And I was I looked up pictures while you were talking and mm-hmm. there's just some southern charm to it. It's very right? it definitely looks worn out. Definitely mm-hmm. looks like there's history within those walls because the brick is like faded. I mean, you guys can look up these pictures or we'll post them on our Instagram. Uh, follow us at Just Bully Things Podcast. And just has this like classic look to it though. Like it's still, although it's very old and faded, there's just still that charm and beauty behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, like I'm, I'm looking it up now because, um, you know, when I copied and pasted the article, you know, there are always, like, pictures of the place. And you're right, it's got, like, kind of that, like, southern, like, charm going that it's like, you know, what kind of ghost wouldn't want to hang out there? Yeah, and I like how they kind of kept the integrity on the inside, too. If you look at the, the interior of it, it looks like mm-hmm. it's still it's still within that time frame of what, like, the last residents who, who were there. Like, they just kind of left everything and then just built around it with the vineyard and the wine tasting and things like exactly. that. Exactly. Like, they, you know, probably in such a historic place in Virginia, there's probably a pretty um, prominent historical society. Mm-hmm. Like, I know, I mean, I, I'm sure that with most towns, like, everything has to get cleared by the town before you do, like, a renovation, like, mostly outdoors. Yeah. Um, but, like the like, the town I grew up in was, like, so, you know, just, like, constantly, like, on everyone's dick about their rich history. Like, it was bullshit. <laughs> and you, if you were doing a renovation, like, it had to be cleared, obviously, by, by like, the town for zoning and everything. Mm-hmm. But it also had to be cleared by the historical society. Wow. And there are, I think, a total of, like, two or three total in the whole town like mid-century modern like split level houses that were built in like the 70s okay and they were like yeah like if they ever want to do a renovation on them like they can't damn like the interior can be done and like because you see like the old like you know like center hall colonial houses with like these really modern kitchens and stuff Mm -hmm. but like if they want to do like these mid-century at least this is what i heard want to do like a renovation on the outside besides like gutters or a fresh roof or something like they can't they can't add like another modern porch because the historical society is like we need to preserve the town i see i think that it kind of does a disservice to the property i mean it's one thing if you're demolishing the whole place and you're building up i don't think especially if there's like history behind it i don't mm -hmm. think that that's necessary but i do think to do upkeep especially if it's something like a roof or something externally where it can either be a hazard for people to reside in or to people to visit, or it's just like, it it, it just does a disservice to the history that you're trying to preserve. I, I don't get why yeah. you wouldn't be able to do that. Well, I mean, obviously, like, you can do, like, a new roof or, like, you know, fucking, you know, new shutters and, you know, all that stuff. But if you want to, like, you know, if you buy a house and want to knock it down and make, like, a really modern house, it you have to go through the historical society. Yeah, there's, I feel like but, there's so many gray areas to that. Exactly. But anyways, back to how beautiful this vineyard is. I think it has, I'm counting now, I think it has like three fireplaces. There's three chimneys. 
Oh, wow. Um, but, I mean, it's a pretty big all, property. And back then, they didn't yeah. have heating like we have now. So, that makes exactly. sense, too. And I and also, like, I can imagine, like, not only with the historical society with the exterior, but some of the charm of this place is also that, like, it's rustic, you know, and old. So, they might not want to. So, they might want to keep that kind of, you know, old-timey charm on the interior as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right, Rebecca, what you got? Okay. So, I'm going to be talking about the Bartholomew Estate Winery in Sonoma, California. And Sonoma is very popular for its vineyards and its wineries. Um, this is one of their more popular wineries uh, in that area. So, in 1943, when the property still contained the grounds of the Buena Vista Winery, the property was purchased by newspaper magnate Frank Bartholomew and his wife Antonia, and they restored the original winery building and press house. In 1968, the Bartholomew sold the small parcel of land on which Buena Vista Winery was lo is located, and after that sale, Frank started Hacienda Cellars with partners, and Hacienda remained in operation until the late 1980s. Frank and Antonia established the Frank H. Bartholomew Foundation to, to preserve and protect the land as a private park open to the public, and expressly directed that as long as it is economically feasible, the winery building and vineyards be maintained in operation with a focus on educating the public about California grape growing and winemaking. After the foundation was formed, they transferred title to the lands now known as Bartholomew Park to the foundation, and Anna Pope currently serves as trustee. In the early 1990s, the foundation leased two acres site on which the estate winery now stands to the, Vin the Weinberg Company, which operated in the space until fall 2018. So that's just a little background of saying that there's a lot of history of this ground, of being a winery, a vineyard. Um, like I said, this area, Sonoma, California, is known. A lot of times when you look up bottles, bottles of wine, you'll see that a lot of uh, a lot of popular wines that you'll come across come from this area i was thinking and it's funny you should say that because when i was doing research trying to find them this one came up and i was like i feel like i've heard of sonoma wine before oh definitely. Like, i could be crazy and it could be like you know whatever effect psychological effect it is but mm -hmm. no definitely it's very it's very very popular so it wouldn't be a surprise that you've heard of this uh this land before so before the before this property had been wineries, there's a lot of history to this specific land. So a uh, hundred years ago, the state of California purchased the current Bartholomew Estate Winery site and so, and the surrounding 640 acres. Yes, 640 acres oh, for shit. for fifty thousand dollars. That's more acres than Winnie the Pooh has in his forest. How many acres does he have? He lives in the hundred acre wood. Oh my god, how did I never put okay, all right. I need to brush up on my Winnie the Pooh. Okay. <laughs> so to establish the state industrial farm for delinquent women, an experiment in women's penal reform, care, confinement, reformation. So yes, originally before this was I a am winery. Yes, <laughs> before this was a winery, this was a woman's prison. And for their penal reform, it was all about caring, confinement, and reformation. So the the whole idea was that these fallen angels would be restored to physical health first, then not turned loose on the community to be a menace, but trained and shown their own capacity for clean living. 
with helpful I farm like work. that actually that it's about more than just a punishment it's you know it's rehabilitation about really which is what yeah. the prison system should be it shouldn't be locking people up like crazy rabbit animals but anyway what they would do is <laughs> but just that's none of our business sipping my tea actually my iced coffee right now <laughs> some asmr do you remember the notebook ASMR? Oh my god, I missed that. Lily, where's your notebook? Um, 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 shit. I have a, a plastic bag here. Music to my ears. Anyway, <laughs> so pretty much what they would do is with healthful farm work, they would, the, the people that were staying at this women's prison it would allow them to become closer with mother nature and was supposed to kind of teach them the beauty of living a clean life i like so, that that's yeah. sweet the wayward women would be housed in the 30 room johnson mansion known as the castle however the property needed additional infrastructure most importantly power water and a hospital to treat the uh the prostitutes the drug addicts and the quote-unquote loose women that were sent here to be reformed <laughs> The women. loose women. I like that that's punishable, though. If that's when if that's the it? most eighteen hundreds kind of saying ever, I don't know what is. Yeah, honestly. But um, in 1921, as part of a job creation bill to employ returning World War One veterans, the legislature appropriated forty thousand dollars to construct a hospital and dam on the property. The dam formed the beautiful lake in the redwoods, and this is a popular Bartholomew Park hiking destination on the trails behind the winery. The mission-style hospital was completed in early 1922. However, the Waywood Woman experiment was short-lived, ending when the castle burned to the ground in March 1923. However, yeah, however, the hospital would become a beloved Sonoma Valley institution. The building became part of the Sonoma Developmental Center, housing epileptic patients until it was shut down on the eve of World War II. When the Bartholomews purchased the property at the auction in 1943, the only hospital in the Sonoma Valley was an obsolete facility on Burndale Road. Prior to the sale, a local group of doctors unsuccessfully lobbied for a community hospital at the site. However, the Bartholomews saw the need and agreed to lease the building to the newly formed Sonoma Valley Community Hospital District. After a successful tax measure was overwhelmingly passed, the new Sonoma Community Hospital, renovated and outfitted with the latest equipment, re opened in 1946. It would serve Sonoma residents for over a decade until the current hospital was built in 1957. We continually hear, and this is from the Bartholomew Estate website, by the way, they say that, quote, uh, we continually hear from visitors who were born here, and when the old hospital closed, the building was used as a convalescent home until the Bartholomews established Hacienda Cellars Winery here in 1973, end quote. And with the Hacienda Cellars, the building began its history as the home of premium estate wines. At Bartholomew Estate Winery, quote, we are once again reviving this historic structure with an intention of making it a place of comfort and restoration where visitors can escape the constant pressure and noise of today's 24-7 news cycle, sipping great wines while soaking in the unique beauty and quiet atmosphere of this special place. That sounds so nice. So fucking peaceful, right? Yes. So, wait, wait a minute. What's the catch? I probably yeah. know it because so, of what we're doing right now, but... 
<laughs> so, of course, with the whole history of it being a, a women's prison and a hospital at certain points, there's definitely... There's definitely some spooky kooky-ooky goings-on. Um, and one of them that they say is that they had found... The, uh, now, there's multiple sources where they say that they found one body, and then there's also other sources where they found multiple bodies in the walls of, of, of women that... In the walls? Yeah. Yeah, I... That is what that is what we that what I see from different sources. I don't know how exactly how exactly that is, but um, yeah, they some of them say that it was one body found, and some say it was multiple. Why they were found in the walls, I don't know, but that could be a good reason why there have been paranormal accounts uh, to the Bartholomew Estate Winery. So, mm -hmm. um, I have here, let me pull up, I'm going to pull up an encounter that I found that was from ABC 7 News. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Ba -ba 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 -ba. Okay, so this is from October 17th, 2008. So, this is a 12-year-old article uh, that is titled, Ghost Hunter Tells Stories at Hunted, at Hunted, but it's really Haunted Winery. So, um, mm -hmm. Good start to whoever wrote this article. Um, so, during a workshop at Bartholomew Park Winery, ghost hunter Jeff Dwyer will reveal the results of his, his month-long investigation into the winery as part of the Sips and Spirits event to celebrate the infamous haunting of the winery's main building, event coordinator I Heather Mills that. said. Yes. So, uh, as I previously said, the building closed as a hospital in 1957, and became a winery, but spirits still roam the building, and especially in the basement, which used to be a morgue, according to Dwyer. There were 35 years of death and dying and misery in there. Since early September, Dwyer has visited the winery weekly to hunt for evidence of ghosts and has spent three nights alone in the building. I found quite a lot going on in there, Dwyer said, such as spots where the atmosphere was abnormally thick or cold. During part of the investigation down in the morgue, there was a time when the room suddenly turned ice cold, Dwyer said. It was just freezing to the point where I couldn't sit there any longer and had to go upstairs to warm up. In 2006, five psychics attempted to hold a seance, but they were so overwhelmed with spiritual activity that they became exhausted and had to stop, according to Mills. Dwyer said he spoke with a psychic who had spent time in the building and claimed to have felt Native American energy, most likely from the spirits of those who died in the 1800s before the building even existed. During his investigation, Dwyer took audio recordings from the building and he said he picked up on noises that sounded like Indian flutes and thumping that sounded like Indian drums. Oh, no. Dwyer said he also heard a piano being played in the morgue, which he claimed was entirely plausible because the incarcerated women who used to practice for their choir in the morgue. Dwyer, who has been interested in spiritual activity and claims he has seen ghosts since he was a child, said feeling the presence of ghosts doesn't frighten him. Quote, my first encounter with a ghost was when I was about 12 years old growing up in Alameda, Dwyer said. I was looking out the window of my house when I saw a man who looked like a sailor with a big bag over his shoulder. As I watched him, he simply vanished before my eyes. That's when I started getting the idea that I could see ghosts. Other ghost stories that have supposedly floated around the winery for years include a woman named Madeline, who was a patient at the asylum in the 20s and 30s, Mills said. 
Madeline, like most of the incarcerated women, would frequently try to run away, according to Mills. One day, Madeline finally managed to escape and was never seen again. When the winery was retrofitted to be earthquake-proof in the 1970s, the remains of a woman, this is who I was talking about, were discovered in the basement and a story developed that the bones were fa- that were found were those of Madeline and that her spirit remains in the winery. Oh, hell no mm-hmm. with the bones. Winery employees have reported various unexplainable incidents, including when a door locked on its own and when a fire extinguisher propelled itself off a wall. In addition to Dwyer's workshop, that's from 7 p.m. to 7.30 p.m., the winery has also hired a psychic, a tarot card reader, a chancellor, and a handwriting analyst. Then they say a hand, that... Wait, a handwriting analyst? I, I, yeah, I, I don't know why there's a handwriting analyst. I. That sounds cool. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, there are some... You don't really think about it, but, like, everything we do, there's someone that has a job to make that possible. They're, like, little things, and... There are the, like, there's those jobs that you don't really take into account, but they're, like, such important jobs. And I feel like this is one of those jobs. I don't know exactly what they do, but I feel like if yeah. I learned why, it was, it'd be very important. Because they're, yeah, like, analyzing no. handwriting. Probably That's for crime. Fascinating. I, I would watch, like, if there was, like, a show on, like, an, like, a handwriting analyst who, like, dealt with, like, criminals. What if, oh, my God, I just came up with an idea. What if? Instead, or, like, along with a polygraph test, Mm -hmm. you had, like, murder suspects, assault suspects, stuff like that, write down, like, I did not, and then they write whatever their, like, alleged crime is, and then you have a handwriting analyst come in and look at it. And is that supposed, like, you think that they would be able to figure out whether they're being deceitful or not? See, I don't really know, but how cool would that be? That would be that would be fucking awesome, and probably would help with a lot of cases, right? And see, like, okay, like obviously they like it wouldn't be a hundred percent accurate. Like polygraphs aren't either, because like literally, apparently, psychopaths like can pass a polygraph. Not surprising. Yeah, right. I mean, they're psychopaths. They're like unstoppable. But, uh. Like, it, it could be interesting to kind of see, like, okay, well, you can tell, like, this about them and that about them, and maybe that could help, make, like, inform a jury. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Well, I'm a this genius. Is, this is what I'm thinking from looking at, like, th- thinking back of true crime shows that I watch. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is exactly what handwriting analysts do, but I do know people have roles where, say, if someone leaves a suicide note and it's written out, They'll check the person's handwriting and they'll see if, first of all, if that was the person that actually wrote the suicide note because it may be staged where the actual killer wrote the suicide note pretending to be that person so it looked like a suicide but really it was a homicide. And then if they find out that that person didn't commit suicide, they look at the letter and they try to match it up with people that are possible suspects to see if that's their handwriting. And they, they can tell by, like, even just a little a little swirl in, like, a certain cursive handwriting or their signature, um, forgery, things like that. So huh. that, that's what I'm thinking maybe this person does. Why it would be a part oh. of a paranormal investigation. I don't know if there's some sort of artifact there. But, yeah. Huh. So, anyway, to just wrap up the Bartholomew Estate Winery, they were at the time having Saturday events 
uh, that were from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. at the winery, and it cost $50 per person, and it was it was a workshop by this uh, Dwyer person that they would do a paranormal investigation there and uh, try to uh, come up with evidence of a paranormal haunting there. So, yeah, that is the history and the paranormal accounts of the Bartholomew Estate Winery. Huh, I like it. This is such a cool episode. This yeah. Is, I'm so glad you thought of this. Imagine being, like, drunk as fuck at a winery and then seeing a fucking ghost. That's some shit that would happen to one of us, though. Oh, for like, sure. Like, if we went together, like, you best believe one of us is gonna be like, oh my god, Lil, oh my god, Rebecca, like, there's a fucking ghost in here. Like, and then the other one stumbles over, like, I wanna see, what did they say? Let me see. Get over here, you little rascal. <laughs> Let me wrestle you to the ground right now. Are you resi- imagine drunkenly trying to ask if it's a residual haunting? Because I can barely say that word so <laughs> Are you women then, huh? Are we, yeah? <laughs> uh, just come drink with me. You, you only love, love doing shots. You only live what eternally. What kind of spirits do you drink? And to me, I would be drunkenly cracking up. <laughs> That's a good material, too. Write that down. <laughs> I will. All right. Okay. So I actually meant to look up how to pronounce this one place because I don't know how to pronounce it, but it was really interesting. So let me just Google how to pronounce Mar. Let's play this. Okay, it's Marjim, M-A-R-J-I-M. I was like, is it a soft J? Is it Marjim? I don't fucking know. I'm illiterate. Okay. <laughs> so, this is the Marjim Manor in Appleton, New York. Oh, I've never heard of it. Yeah, so it's, I think it's up kind of by Buffalo, I think, because they said something about, like, Buffalo-based ghost hunters going. Um, so, it's in New York State, like, upstate New York. So a little history, and this is all, they had a really, uh, like, the website design was, like, a choice, but they had a lot of information on there. Okay. So in 1834, Shubal Scudder Merritt bought a, bought 205 acres from the Holland Land Company. He built a log cabin and moved his family onto the property. Sophia Spencer Wilson and he had been married in 1830, and their son, Lewis Wilson, was born in 1832. Um, eventually, he built a frame house with two more, and two more children were born, Phoebe Sophia and Cordelia Marie. First of all, the names in this family are just amazing. Shoeball Scudder Merritt, Phoebe Sophia, Cordelia, you know, I, like I'm here for it. As he became more profitable, his wife wanted a house to reflect this. In 1854, he built a brick home. Lewis enrolled in the University of Rochester, but the two girls moved into the family home. Sophia died in the home in 1864. Oh, she was not that old then. Um, Rest in peace. Yeah, she must have been like in her like late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. The following year, Lewis also died in his home. Shubal lived there until 1881 when he died on March 2nd. 
The daughters inherited the house. Phoebe Sophia and her husband, Lucius Adams, bought Cordelia's portion and ran the farm with a series of caretakers. In 1895, Dr. Charles A. Ring purchased the home. His wife, Hannah Danelia Ripley Farwell, farewell, I don't know, um, wanted to move out of Buffalo, and the two had the dream of farming. In Buffalo, they lived on Fargo Avenue, a few doors up from Hannah's father, Reverend Alan Plum Ripley, and his second wife, Florella Celesta Morse. They became very successful peach farmers, participating in many research projects through Cornell University. In June 1907, Hannah died in the home. Okay, there's a lot of deaths in this home. Definitely so, some like, spooky kooky history there. Yeah, right? No wonder it's on the list. Charles remained in the home, um, in the home he named Appleton Hall. In January 1908, he, fi he filed a new will naming Elia Selmores, Florella's younger half-sister, as the recipient of the home. On February 28, 1908, he died supposedly of heart disease, supposedly of heart disease, sorry. Estelle, as she was called, promptly moved into the house with her widowed sister, Florella. Florella died in the home, again, uh, in September 1908. In 1909, Estelle married John Farmer Whitwell, a widower who had helped them farm the property. They lived in the house until 1922 when they moved to West Somerset, New York. Various sales of the home fell through and it went into foreclosure. Damn, so there's some drama happening here. For real. On July 19, 1933, Mr. Callahan from M&T Bank visited Mother... Constantia Driscoll of the Sisters of St. Joseph. The sisters were at their summer home, St. Mary's, in Olcott. As teachers of the deaf, uh, the sisters were considering a vocational farm school for the boys in their school in Buffalo. That's interesting. Again, like being put to good use. Um, yeah. Mother Constantia had a group of sisters who look at the property just a few miles up the road. On the lake was a cabin that resembled the order's first home in Carondelet, Missouri. I think I'm pronouncing that right. They promptly purchased the property to use as a camp for girls, a farm school for, the, for deaf boys, and a summer retreat for themselves. And they owned that until 1993. David P. Gardner of Gardner Graphics purchased the property for his business and later his residence. And then 10 years later, in 2003, Margot Sue Bittner bought it to use as a winery. The winery at Margin Manor produces fruit wines and also rents out rooms for parties and receptions. It has a local reputation as a haunted house and was featured on the television series Ghost Hunters. What? How did I not? I probably saw that episode and didn't remember. There's so many episodes. For real. Um, and on the Travel Channel series, Most Terrifying Places in America. How have I never even heard of that series? Have you heard of it? Yeah, I've heard of it. I don't. I, I, I'm honestly more of a ghost adventures, ghost hunters person, but I have heard of that show before. I've never even heard of it. Um, and as for their resident ghosts, they say we believe that Shubal, Sophia, and Lewis Merritt, Charles and Hannah Ring, and the sisters of Saint Joseph's dog Duke are our regular visitors. There's a dog oh. there too. 
So on their website, they have, um, what's it called? I guess like testimonials or like ghost stories from other, like from visitors. Mm -hmm. So um, I have a few of those. So this one is called Our Wedding Day. It was November 25th, 2006, a beautiful autumn day. Our wedding day had finally arrived. The guests were all seated. The ceremony conducted by Margo was underway. It was time for Sarah to sing. Cue the music. Hmm. The CD player won't work. We try and try again. It just wouldn't work for Margo. Quote, it was working earlier with no problems. Oh, well. Cue Sarah to sing without the music. It was beautiful. The ceremony continues. Bang. Oh, no. What did the photographer knock down? (laughs) We all direct our attention to the wall behind us where a plaque fell off the wall and onto the table below. The photographer, he was nowhere near it. It fell on its own. Or did it? Once the ceremony was finished, the best man went to the wall and checked out the hangar. The plaque had to have lifted up and then off the hangar. Ooh, spooky mm. kooky ooky. Had to be some, um, had to have some power behind that, some energy. Yeah, right? It's well known that ghosts take energy from batteries and electrical equipment. Hmm, that mm. CD player? Oh, imagine saying, yo, I'm going to fuck this bitch's setup just so I can knock a fucking plaque off a wall. <laughs> Hope you do acapella. <laughs> Our wedding wasn't attended by just our invited guests but by an unseen guest or guests but come to think of it i did tell them they were welcome to attend (laughs) did it bother us no in fact we felt honored they chose to attend our wedding earlier at home we had a strange right like that's sweet they're probably doing boring ghost shit all day they want like some good news to see something nice some spice in their life yeah right Earlier at home, we had a strange occurrence with our front lawn. In a darker green color of the lawn was a heart, the word dad, and what looked like a two-year-old scribble. We figured it was Mark's dad and my son, Adam, wishing us well from heaven. Aww. Right? Almost four years ago, and we still talk about it with a smile. I love that. That is so sweet. Right? So... I love, like, a comforting story, you know? Like, I love a spooky, kooky, ooky, scary story, but there's something so heartwarming about reading just like, oh, it was just them saying hi. What I'm liking about these winery stories is that there's no... It doesn't seem like there's anything malicious behind it. It just seems like, hey, like, we're just showing ourselves. We're still here. And uh, carry on. Enjoy your wine. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's nice. Right? So here's where it gets interesting. Something, uh, there's something that I couldn't really find about things happen there at 3 p.m. Ah. Right? So I have two stories about that. Ooh, let's hear them. Um, They're pretty short, but they're short and sweet. So, because Thursday, so this one is just called Paranormal Investigation Incident. Because Thursday afternoon at 3 is our special time, I thought it was appropriate to post the following ghostly adventure. On February 28th, 2010, 
Buffalo paranormal investigators did a ghost hunting class. The goal was to familiarize people uh, with the equipment and methods they use. Oh, sorry, my phone fell out of my hand. I'm a klutz. Um, That date was specifically picked. Dr. Charles Ring died in the house on February 28, 1908. Ooh, so it's like a 102 years to the day. As a part of the afternoon's adventures, an EVP detector was placed in the doorway. I don't know why V is in quotes, but okay. Just before 3 o'clock, the detector showed a reaction. When the recording was played back, a man's voice was asking, what? What? Like he was trying to understand what was being said. And then we have another like kind of 3 p.m. ish incident called Spooky Photo. And um, this one and the last story that I have from the website have pictures. And I'll post that in our Facebook group, Just Ghouly Things Podcast group. Mm. Um, because especially, and I'm sure you do this too, like when we take pictures off of like stock photo off of Google Images or like whatever, like that's fine. But if it's like a per- person's personal photo from like a blog, like I want, I want to give them credit. Yeah, you know, for sure. So I always post the site. So um, just Willie Things podcast group will have that for you. So, um, let's see. Okay, a couple of Sundays in January of 2011, we visited the manor as part of our planned wine tasting tour. We wanted to hear about the legend and arrived shortly before 2:30 p.m. We enjoyed the stories, the wine, and the manor very much. As we left, I took this picture from the road. It's odd that the manor is distorted, and yet the trees, sky, etc. are not. And I'm looking at this now here. Let me see. Um, okay, I'll send these to you after, Rebecca. I should have sent them to you before we started recording, but I'm just, like, so scattered brain today. <laughs> it's my first day off in, like, 11 days, so I'm, like, just my brain is just checked out. It's um, all good. But yeah, so I'll show you these. And it's really interesting. It's uh, it's snowy. It's really nice. And it's beautiful. But um, the person who wrote this is correct. The grass or the, the lawn is fine. Not really skewed. Um, the clouds are normal. The trees are normal. But the building is like, it's skewed. It's like kind of curvy. Weird. Is it a yeah. glitch in the matrix? so um even the doorway is straight but the rest of the manor is curved what was even more spooky is my wife told me to look at the time i took the picture it was exactly three o'clock p.m oh yeah so i just thought i would share that with you and then the other one since i can't send you the photos because i'm on google docs and i'd have to copy and paste them individually um, I'll just leave that one for you guys to read and, and you guys decide. Basically, there's just some spooky kooky mist that was collected in a photo. But I'll, I'll, I'll post that in the group and we can all read and discuss together what we think happened. Seriously, join our private group, guys. Like, it really, I mean, I feel like our engagement's growing on that private group. And you guys can all talk to each other and post whatever you want as long as it's appropriate and within the mm-hmm. topic of the paranormal. And, uh, yeah, I just think it's, I think it's good to just, like, bounce feedback off one another and, you know, either validate or 
you know, play devil's advocate with certain things. I'm like, oh, well, it could be that, but it can also be something scientific or this, that, the other thing. So. Exactly. And that's what I like about our boothangs is that they don't like ever in the group, like really like get into like those harsh, harsh arguments. Yeah. No, there's never been, there's never been any fights or anything like it's never I love how we can just talk about paranormal it doesn't turn like political it doesn't turn any other sort of like thing that is outside of what we're all here to talk about I love that you guys you guys are awesome yeah and you know I see so I'm in a couple of face oh I'm in a lot of Facebook groups that are just like meme groups because Mm -hmm. of who I am as a person (laughs) But I'm also in a couple, like, restaurant workers group. There's um, Extra Ranch, Server Memes and Broken Dreams, a couple of them. And this is big. I don't know if we have any, like, food service boothangs, but if you're not in Extra Ranch, you should be. And if you are, you know that one of the moderators of the group got kicked out. Why? What's the tea? Um, he posted something about, like, not tipping um and then it became about women and they were like you're literally like the mod for this group and would remove someone if they were posting this shit like you can't get away with this and there was a whole discussion and then the post was deleted but people were posting screenshots girl it was juicy damn so juicy but yeah and people go there and they're like oh like uniform thread what do you wear and like these two people got into a fight because this one woman worked at like a, I guess a cowboy themed restaurant and she posted like her like cheesy, like saloon girl outfit. And one person was just like, ew, that could never be me. And I'm like, we're here to support each other. Like take a note from just Bully things podcast group and just be like, Oh wow. You know, sorry, you're in a corny outfit, but you look, you know, at least you wear it with confidence. Like some shit like that. Yeah, you know, like geez. our boothangs would never. And we love ever. You for that. Ever. All right, Rebecca, what's your last story? Okay. So last... I always say story, but it's not always a story. Sometimes it's like just an article, but you know it's... what I mean. Yeah, this this one is the one with the juicy information. This is the juiciest of the juiciest. I love and it. And this is the Belvoir Winery in Liberty, Missouri. So um, I got the history from their website. Let me pull it up now. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Copy the link put it into the search bar and bam okay so this is from belvoirwinery.com and this is on their our history tab Mm -hmm. so i'm going to be reading straight from there so this is the full history of the odd fellows home site which is on the winery's property in liberty missouri so the odd fellows home district is architecturally and historically significant for the comprehensive way in which it represents the historic development of the Missouri odd fellows complex from 1900 to the present. In terms of architecture, the district is important to show the intact examples of Jacob- Jacobethan revival structures, one of which was designed by William B. Itner, a nationally recognized architect of the style. In terms of social and humanitarian contributions, the resources document the emerging concept of care by a fraternal organization for the elderly, indignant, indigent, indigent, indigenous. And it just says I N D I G E N T, indigent, 
and orphaned at the turn of the century. Several residents were integral in the history of the Missouri International Order of the Odd Fellows or were civic leaders in their hometown. So this information is a little about the architecture to give you an idea of what this, um, about what this complex looks like. Because if you pull up pictures, it's massive and it's Super, super beautiful on a lot of property. I'm looking it up now. So why how do you how do you spell it? It's uh well it's the Belvoir Winery B E L V O I R Winery. Um, but this is specifically what I'm gonna be talking about is the Odd Fellows Home Complex, which is one of the buildings on this property of this winery. So the Odd Fellows Home Complex is architecturally significant as a collection of the Jacobethan Revival educational and institutional buildings did you find the Holy picture shit. it looks it looks like fucking like brown university it's stunning right it's gorgeous one day i'm gonna live in a house like that me and my rich husband who mysteriously died <laughs> which by the way your response to my comments <laughs> i hate that the fact that both of our rich old husbands fell on the same knife at the same time such a damn shame Okay, anyway, okay. So the three remaining historic buildings, the administration building, the old folks building, and the old hospital were all designed by different architects over a period of 23 years, yet are all cohesive in their design and embody the distinctive characteristics of the style. After the first structure was used as the, ho- um, as the home was burned in February 1900 in an attempt to unthaw frozen pipes, the Grand Lodge of Missouri IOOF advertised for designs of a completely fireproof building to house offices, classrooms, dormitories for the orphans and rooms for the elderly. The architects selected were Albert or were Albert Knell and William B. Itner of St. Louis. The latter is an important figure in Missouri architecture as commissioner of school buildings in St. Louis from 1897 to 1910 and consulting architect of the board of education until 1914. Itner had an opportunity to achieve prominence with the design of 50 St. Louis school buildings. And in addition, Itner's firm produced hundreds of schools in over 25 states. While most Jacobethan designs were for houses, some feel the style had its greatest impact on educational architecture at the turn of the century. Itner's series of schools in St. Louis are viewed as worthy examples of this style in comparison with those would place the Oddfellows complex in its statewide architectural context. The administration building designed by Itner set the precedent for the rest of the Oddfellow complex buildings. Although designed by other later architects, the other buildings reference this unique style. Itner's impact on Missouri architecture is only now becoming recognized, but still awaits comprehensive scholarly treatment. So pretty much saying that this building alone has a lot of history just because of who designed it. Like the people that designed this building were well known in this area for their work, for their designs. And they kept their, they kept their architecture a certain style so -hmm. that if you were to see that, you would definitely know like, okay, this was definitely Itner who created these buildings and oh i love that yeah it kind of keeps like a consistency to it yeah so there were three other buildings designed in the style on the site one uh the school building was which was torn down in the early 1950s to make way for the newer hospital the school building was built in 1904 um, and designed by j.h felton co of kansas city who also designed some later additions at the odd fellows 
The Old Folks Building, at first called the Old Folks Pavilion, was designed by E.C. Eckel and built during 1907 to 1908 in order to accommodate the growing number of applications for admittance. The Old Hospital was built in 1923 and designed by Samuel M. Hit of Kansas City and viewed together the three remaining buildings not only document the evolution of the style over a quarter of a century, the typical building technology and materials for institutional structures as well. So this definitely... Um, this building is a lot more than just throwing up a building for hospitals and schools. It, there was there was a purpose behind it. Um, and it's interesting to kind of just know the background of why, if you look up this photo, which we will post on our social media, why it was built the way it was. Yeah. So some historic background. So the Independent Order of Odd Fellows is one of the largest fraternal and benevolent orders in the United States. The chief purpose of the Order of Odd Fellows is to give aid, assistance, and comfort to its members and their families. So IOOF is actually a secret society and has its own system of right and passwords. And the first lodge, yeah. So this was originally a secret society before it became a vineyard. And the first lodge... Yeah, was organized in Missouri from 1835 and incorporated in 1843. The Oddfellows Home was established for the care and maintenance of members of the order who were unable to earn a livelihood by reasons of age or affliction, those who were indigent, and for the wives and orphans of members. In order to be admitted, members must have been in continuous good standing in their lodges for five years prior to their submission for acceptance into IOOF. Application was made through the members' lodge. The list of past residents includes some of the early founding mem- uh, members of, I- of Missouri IOOF and Rebecca Lodges, as well as many leading citizens of small towns across Missouri. In 1883, the first petition to establish a state Odd Fellows home was recorded at a session of the Grand Lodge. In 1894, bids for sites were requested and seven cities submitted proposals. Liberty was finally selected as the site of the home on the fourth ballot. As as inducement to locate the Liberty... I'm sorry, as inducement to locate in Liberty, the city and Liberty Lodge number 49 offered $17,000 as consideration, and the Liberty School Board offered free tuition to Liberty High School for the student for the children reared at the home. Oh, Ma- I love that. Mm-hmm. Manheim. Okay, these most of the people in this episode so far, without with the exception of the guy who shot the farmhand, are actually seem like pretty chill. It's it's meant to be under good intentions sometimes it doesn't always you know end that way but there were good intentions so Mannheim goldman liberty business owner and twice mayor is credited with the effort to bring the odd fellows home to the area mr goldman known as the first and only hebrew who ever spent many years in liberty that was a quote realized that the establishment of a statewide home and school albeit for a secret christian society would be a credit to a community already known for its educational system. The residents apparently agreed, for this was not the first effort Liberty made to secure such an institution, nor was it to be the last. In 1888, the city offered $30,000 in land and money for the Masonic Orphans Home, but failed in its efforts. The Winter Hotel was built in Liberty in 1887, known as the year of the great boom in Clay County real estate. One of the largest real estate owners was the Winter Investment Company, purchaser of 18,000 acres of Clay County land. The hotel was first called the Reed Springs Hotel by a syndicate of investors who built the plush hotel on the Reed Sulphur Springs site, hoping that the healing properties of the mineral water would produce as much interest as it did in nearby Excelsior Springs, an elaborate subdivision. Reed Springs was was platted in 1888. Plans called 
for a hotel, half-mile racetrack, park areas, and an area for homes. Only the hotel was built along with wooden pagodas over the springs, gravel paths, and a boathouse on the lake. That sounds so peaceful. Honestly. And in 1891, W.E. Winner, the well-known investor and promoter, bought the hotel in 12 acres, changing the name to the Winner Hotel. The hotel was sold to the Oddfellows in 1895 as Mr. Winner's fortune declined, not so much a winner anymore, <laughs> and by 1897, with the depression and the sale of an additional 9,000 acres to satisfy bond debts, the Winner boom was over. The Oddfellow members supported the cost of running the home by paying an assessment tax, and in, 19, in, I'm sorry, in 1899, this yearly tax was 50 cents per capita. After the frame structure of the original Winner Hotel was destroyed by a fire in 1900, each member paid an additional assessment of $1 per member to cover the cost of the new building. Donations were always welcome, and lodges later became responsible for their own members and their rooms. Hmm. Yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about the three main buildings that are on this winery property. There's a lot of information to this winery, um, but it's important to know just because of the spirits that reside there. So... Uh, Strappin, guys. This is now talking about the old folks' home building. So in the old folks' home building located in the center of the property, the signs on the doors tell which individual lodge was the benefactor of the room and its inhabitant. The home was also supported by the produce of the farm. After purchasing all the surrounding farmland on which it had options, the board decided in 1900 to take control over the 247 acres of farmland at the home and cease renting out portions of the land. It felt that the home could be self-supporting through farming. By 1905, the farm operation had grown to the point that a local farmer was hired to produce better results. Because the farm was important to the existence of the home and for reasons stated earlier, many of the children and adults helped with daily chores. Although the farm reports were often incomplete, they give a good example of the size of the farm operations at the home. In 1901, it produced 838 bushels of oats, 2,000 bushels of corn, 500 bushels of Irish potatoes, 3 tons of hay, 7,863 gallons of milk, 1,714 pounds of butter, and 325 dozen eggs. Livestock included 3 horses, 52 cattle, 175 poultry, and 15 hogs. Nearly everything was kept for consumption at the home, but occasionally some sales brought in needed revenue. So this was all being consumed by the people that resided in the building. And some of it was sold like outside, but most of it was just used to supply food for the the people that were living in the home in the old folks' home building, which is pretty crazy. Um, yeah. The profile of the typical resident changed over time in the history of the home. In the early years, children were far outnumbered. Uh, far outnumbered adults. In 1912, 52 residents were adults and 111 were children. Most of the children were orphans and the average adult age was in the 50s. But by the late 20s, however, the proportion of the adults increased dramatically. From 1932 to 1933, there were 236 adults and 98 children, the largest number ever. Some were people who were just down on their luck, undoubtedly due to the economics of the period, and would stay until financially able to make it on their own. A greater number of non-orphan children were also admitted during this time as their families were unable to care for them. The decline in numbers at the home began after the advent of social programs for the poor and elderly in the 1930s. Newly developed local nursing homes were more attractive alternatives to the elderly, enabling them to remain near friends and family. And by 1951, there were no longer any children at the home, and most applicants were permanent hospital patients. 
That's information on the old folks home building. Now I'm going right. to talk about the old hospital building. The first need for the home-based hospital care was recognized by 1905. Because the Grand Lodge made it impossible for the home to reject an applicant due to a physical disability, many residents required hospital care beyond that provided by the staff, nurse, and hospital. Hospital facilities were moved to the old folks building, but by 1910, it was apparent that a separate hospital building would be needed. It wasn't until 1923 that the hospital, now known as the old hospital, was constructed on the northern end of the property. For a period, the hospital was the only medical facility in Liberty. It even had its own laboratory. The hospital soon proved to be outdated as the halls and doorways were not wide enough to permit easy movement of bed patients and equipment. And in 1955, the nursing home was built. The Grand Lodge voted at that time to permit the admittance of paying non-members to the hospital. Now we're going to go to the old school. The Odd Fellows Home provided an excellent basic education. They had a school? Oh, yeah. That, well, I mean, they had it for, like, the orphans and the members that oh, needed yeah, an education. That, yeah, you can't, yeah, you can't take an orphans and be like, ha, no education. Orphans. Good luck, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this really was to help these people develop and build lives so that they can move from this and, and from this facility and to be productive members of society um, because these people didn't have the resources that other people had. So the Oddfellows home provided an excellent basic education for the children and orphans of Missouri Oddfellows and encouraged development in other areas as well. In 1908, the first instrumental music classes were offered and eventually a boys band was organized, which made annual tours of the state. The education, yeah, the education received at the home was much more superior to what children might have received in their hometowns. High school attendance, not a typical option for children at the turn of the century, was a matter of course at the home, and even college tuition was provided as early as the 1920s. By the early 1940s, the decrease in children resulted in discontinued use of the school building, and classes were moved back to the administration building. By 1951, there were no longer any children in the home, like I said, and the old school building was eventually demolished and no longer stands on the property. Um, And then, not only was all those buildings there but of course there was a cemetery As stop i'm here for this and if you look at the cemetery it's pretty eerie looking all this all the stones are the same all perfectly aligned and in the picture that i see on there on the winery website just like this beautiful sunset but like these dark dead trees in the back and it's just like spooky kooky ooky. it's very well managed but it's still Still a little eerie. Um, so as the chief purpose of the Odd Fellows Society was to give aid, assistance, and comfort to members and families, the Grand Lodge of Missouri helped in times of death as well as in sickness and misfortune. A cemetery plot, headstone, and burial services were all part Whoa. of this large system of benefits that were available to the Odd Fellows. Usually, I just found the picture. Yeah, creepy, Sorry right? interrupt. But, no. like, that is, that's almost scarier than, like, a cemetery in disarray. Right? Like, it's just, yeah, like, it's just, like, too peaceful. Yeah, it's too well done. So, um, usually the elderly residents of the home who had no other arrangements were buried there. Current IOOF members also had the option to be buried at the Liberty Complex. The cemetery is currently located on the northern end of the property. The cemetery contains the remains of nearly 600 people. Just outside the cemetery gate sits a memorial dedicated by the Liberty IOOF Lodge to honor the members who were killed in World War II. So that is the history of the Belvoir Winery um, that's currently there. So that's like the background of what resided behind this winery. Um, 
So, of course, while you're drinking some wine, there could be some spooky kooky ooky things happening, right? So I found this article titled Ghost of the Belvoir Winery. This was written by Jason Uffett um, as of November 28, 2012. So the old, this starts by saying the old brick hospital sits amongst the sprawl of elegant buildings in the rolling green hills of Clay County, Missouri. Constructed in 1923, it's not the oldest structure on the property of Belvoir Winery, but it might be the most haunted. 24-year-old Emily Crinkle went on a guided ghost tour of the winery in November, and the hospital quickly became uncomfortable. Quote, we were only allowed to go in the hallway, she said. The building was so old that's where the support beams were. So they were just walking strictly on supporting <laughs> beams, and that's why they couldn't go anywhere else because they had the chance of falling through. The Wait a minute. That's the, but you know there's always probably going to be that one person who's like, I won't fall through. I'm only 134 pounds. I don't know why I assume they talk like that, but <laughs> and then they fall right through the fucking ceiling. Exactly, exactly. So the investigators from Creeps Ghost Commandos took the group to the second floor and set up motion sensors. Creeps conducts paranormal tours of the winery along with the team paranormal research investigators. They talked to us about how psychics came in and said one ghost in the hallway was a lady who passed away in the hospital and liked to sing, Crickle said. In the opposite end of the hallway, there is a mischievous man. A heavy feeling enveloped the group as it wandered one end of the dark hallway. Then a Creeps member brought out a white noise generator. They started asking questions. At first, we didn't hear anything, Crickle said. They said, is it okay we're here with you? A clear, and very clearly through the white noise, we heard a yes. They asked a couple of questions, but I don't remember what they were because I was in such shock from the previous response. That's understandable. Yeah. So the oppressive feeling of the area became too much for one participant. In my group, there was a lady, upper 50s, early 60s. She was there with her daughters. She sat down and said she was tired. After a few minutes on the floor, she stood, but Adam Tillery of Creeps knew something wasn't right. We heard a big thug in the background. It was her head on the wall, she, he said. She was standing. Her eyes were rolling into her head. Oh, no. Tillery panned his flashlight over to the woman. As the harsh light bathed her face, Tillery and Crickle both saw the whites of the woman's eyes. She was sweating. She didn't remember anything about it. The woman's daughters escorted her outside, leaving five people in the second floor hallway. The now smaller group quickly discovered it wasn't alone. I asked one of the guys, has that happened before? He started to say it happened one other time when down the hallway there was a deep growl. Everyone froze. These ladies heard it. I heard it. About four feet away from us, we heard a growl. At this time, it was, wow, what was that? After the growl, Tillery grew quiet and looked at one of the few members of the group. He stopped talking and said, I just want to make sure. You all heard that, right? Uh, Tillery asked if anyone wanted to walk down the hallway, and Crickle volunteered. I actually walked down the hallway towards the mischievous man's room, she said. The farther she walked down the hall, the more oppressive the feeling became. I said, that's okay. I don't need to go any farther. Tillery was ready to go, too. I wanted to stay and find out more, but when it comes to a growl like that, it could be something powerful. Good for you, smart move smart move i love seeing people make good decisions and smart decisions instead of pulling like the dumbass horror movie shit Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh something uh let's say something was frozen in the basement and they used blow torches and actually accidentally burned it down and that was talking about 
um, why there was that fire in 1900. I, I wasn't sure why it didn't explain on the website of why it had burned down in 1900, but that's the reason why. Um, and let's see what else. After the hospital, the group made their way to the administration building, which is still up. So we went to the third floor where they used to teach the orphans. The only thing we found was when there was the song we sang, Mary Had a Little Lamb, the meters would go off. That was it for activity there, as well as the cemetery, however, an outbuilding known as the bunker, once used for the food storage, was a little more active. They said orphans liked to hide there from doing chores. They were sitting in a semicircle, just, they, um, we were sitting in a semicircle, they got out dowsing rods at this point. Crickle held the metal rods, some believe can be used to communicate with the dead, and ask questions. The rods moved on their own accord. If you're here with friends, point out your friends, Crickle said in the darkened room. One rod went into the hallway, the other went to the corner. She asked if the spirits wanted to play, and the rods moved again. Crickle handed the rods to another member of the group who asked, Do you think she's pretty? The rod signaled yes. The lady who was with us said, We have to leave. Do you want to say goodbye? Crickle said. The rod signified yes. Then Crickle felt something she couldn't explain rationally. A hug. I was feeling a lot of pressure what? on my left side, like someone was actually leaning into me and my arm was cold. I thought it was pretty cool. Tillery said this sort of experience at the winery is normal. Creeps has been associated with the winery since February 2011 and has captured evidence of paranormal activity. Voices in the hospital, laughing, singing. We've also caught strange noises throughout the old folks' home. One guy that was with us said he saw someone peeking around the corner and he was kind of freaked out. Visitors have also told creeps that they've seen apparitions and shadow people on the grounds, but the hospital is the paranormal centerpiece. There's one of these hallways with double doors. Right in that area, on one occasion, it sounded like a really deep breath as we were getting ready to cross these double doors, Tillery said. Another time, I was grabbed on my shoulders. The feeling, he said, is that of being watched, like something's going to jump out at any minute. I had more things happen to me at the winery than any place in the Midwest, Tillery said. I'd like to say it's I'd like to say it's one of the up-and-coming paranormal hotspots. That's a very spooky location. And that is from MysteriousUniverse.org. And that is the experience that they had through the Creeps investigation. Um, as, as you could tell from what I read, you can actually go and do a ghost tour there. I don't know what they're doing now because of COVID and things like that. But usually when when the world is normal, um, you can go there and take some of these tours, which I thought was really, really freaking cool. Hmm. Yeah. So, and um, there's actually, um, I have another final encounter, and this was from a news article uh, from KansasCity.com, and this is titled Kansas Haunted Kansas City, Paranormal Tales from Rural Liberty to Old Shawnee. So I'm going to be talking about when they talk about the Belvoir Winery and the inn at the Belvoir Winery. Um, So let me just scroll down here. Uh, Oh, where did it go? Hmm. Why is this? Come on, let me me look at this. Uh, Okay. The the Belvoir Winery in Liberty has become perhaps the most well-known haunted haunt in the metro. It has been featured on national television shows and people travel across the country to visit hoping for a paranormal experience. The 1890s sweeping lodge and several associated buildings on a 170-acre plot along Missouri Highway 291 served as an orphanage for several decades and an odd fellows fraternal order 
order old folks home. And then they go, yes, it was really called an old folks home. (laughs) Um, I've never actually, I've heard of like senior care and assisted living and all that stuff, but I've never, and I've heard it used like slinily. Yeah. I've never actually heard it like the official title being old folks home. Mm -hmm. So everyone who visits the old fellows home can be guaranteed to see at least one dead person. And that's a skeleton. That's right. They have a real skeleton on display. Yeah. Holy shit. And his name is George. He was a man who donated his body for use in the ritual rites of the Odd Fellows. He now resides in a small history room the Belvoir maintains to explain the heritage of the site. George is not actually believed to be involved with any of these hauntings, though. However, Lime Cooler, Lime Cooler, Lime Cooler, yeah, like that's literally how you say his last name. That sounds pretty cool. Was standing right outside George's room when he saw one of the few full apparitions he's experienced during his time there, a woman walking across the hallway. The apparition sticks out to you because you're seeing someone who's not there, he said. It's relatively rare to see something like that. I've probably only seen them three times in the 20 years I've been here. Most of the experiences, which are quite regular for Lime 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 cooler, lime cooler, his staff, and ghosts are more like voices down the hallway, footsteps when no one is there, and objects moved to that explanation. They believe most of the haunts are connected to the time when the building served as an orphanage. It's pretty obvious it's kids. It's just stuff that kids would do, playful type of stuff, gotcha stuff. You hear kids running and laughing down the hallway areas. While not usually frightened by the ghosts, the one he thought was an actual person in one of the outbuildings was more unsettling than usual. It appeared to be a man looking around the corner at twilight. He disappeared into a room that had no outlet. When he went to investigate, no one was there. Those are the ones that will give you the biggest chills because you think that someone's there. Had I been able to tell it was a ghost, I would have never gone down there. The Belver recently opened a nine-room bed and breakfast on the third floor of the main building. That third floor is supposedly one of the haunted, most haunted at the site. During the four months since they've been booking guests, five have already checked out in the middle of the night. <laughs> they didn't like waking up to see the twins standing in their room. Oh my god! Over at Hartman, like Hart- the fucking shining. Uh huh. Uh huh. So that is the history of the Belvoir Winery in Liberty, Missouri. You know, I have a friend who lives in Missouri, and I wonder if he's ever heard of it. I'll text him and post the response on our Instagram. Probably I'll put it on the story. I don't think I'll waste a whole post. Yeah, yeah. I'm very curious because I've never heard of this winery before. Not that I would go to Missouri just to go to a winery, but if it's as haunted as people say it is, I'm surprised I never heard of it previously. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I don't think because they said it's near Kansas City. Um, I guess it's like in that area. Yeah, like in the metro area. So my friend is from Springfield, which is southern Missouri. So, but maybe he's like heard like I've heard of stuff from all over New Jersey. Oh, so for sure, we'll, yeah. We'll see. I doubt he's ever been there, but maybe he's heard of it and has some spooky, kooky stories. Yeah. Well, on that note, guys, that concludes this episode of Jeskulay Things talking about haunted wineries. All so, right. Yeah. That this was a fun one. We'll definitely we should definitely do a part two because there were a lot more than I anticipated. A lot and a lot of information on all the haunts and wineries that we that we looked up. So yeah. definitely if you guys liked this content, email us at JustGoolyThinksPodcast at gmail.com. Letting us know of any haunted wineries you may know of or maybe that you've visited already. It's something maybe you'd like for us to delve a little deeper into history wise and uh lily do you have anything to wrap up with before we start with the socials 
Um, if the crazy guy from the bank is listening to this, somehow he found it. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Did I tell you about the customer who added me on Facebook? Yes, yes. You talked about it okay. last week. Fucking All nuts. Right. The, days, the days are running together for me. Maybe, maybe, he, maybe he's a listener. Oh, my goodness. Hey. Don't add Lily don't on add, Facebook don't again. Don't add me on Facebook, please. All right. Yeah. So, anyways, um, also, I would just like to add that um, if you or anyone you know has, like, a haunted winery, like, experience or something, email us at justgoingthingspodcast at gmail.com. Please do. We'd love to hear them. All right. So, follow us on Instagram at justgoingthingspodcast. Our personal Instagrams at Rebecca Ruber and... At Lily Baldessari. That's B-A-L-D-A-S-S-A-R-E and Lily with two L's. I hate to think I'm getting the other Lily Baldessari more followers. That would be very tragic. And she probably right. She's probably like, herself. who are all these paranormal fans following me? <laughs> Little does she know. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter. JGT Podcast. Donate to our Patreon. Which has some good shit. Just Coolie Things Podcast. Facebook like page. Just Cooly Things Podcast. Facebook private group. Just Cooly Things Podcast group. And if you or someone you know has a paranormal experience you'd like to share in our, on our uh, little podcast we got going on here, <laughs> email us at justcoolythingspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, Boo Thangs, and we will talk to Boo next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.